Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Robert Yeager and the Tao Foundation. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel, broadcasting remotely. It's the perfect time to lose yourself in a good book, especially in a pandemic when so many days have been spent inside over the last few months. Today, where we live, we bring back our pandemic book club to hear how families are staying engaged with reading this summer. Coming up, we hear from local authors about what they're reading and writing these days. We'll talk with the children's librarian and get her recommendations. And we also want to hear from you. Here's the number to join us, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter, at Where We Live. Tell us what you're reading today. I want to welcome back to the show on Zoom, Kate Capshaw. She's past president of Children's Literature Association. It's a non profit dedicated to the study of literature for children. She's also a professor at the University of Connecticut. Kate, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Lucy. I'm so happy to be here. I mentioned uh, the pandemic that we're in, and I have uh, two children. I know you have children as well. It's been pretty exhausting to deal with online learning and working and keeping kids motivated. Now it's the summer. So how do you recommend parents encourage their children to, to read a book? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I really think actually that Zoom and Skype um, have an opportunity for young people to hear their relatives from around the country read books to them. Um, I know many people, aunties and and grandparents and other members of their family who have favorite picture books. Um, and through quarantine, it's difficult to connect. And I, I really feel like I see a lot of families out there uh, using Zoom to create these kind of beautiful reading situations. That's really interesting. Uh, we haven't tried that, but that might be good to, to try with grandma next time. Uh, I mentioned that, that you have a family. So what, can I ask what your kids are reading, Kate? Oh, my kids are really into graphic novels these days. Um, they are reading New Kid by Jerry Craft, which just won the 2020 Newbery Award. Um, it's a really fantastic middle grade graphic novel about being uh, an outsider entering middle school, negotiating friend groups. Um, and the main character is an African-American boy. His name is Jordan. And he starts in a school that's predominantly white and very affluent. And the cool thing about this book is that you can see kind of um, comics roll out explanations in ways that words alone don't. Um, and so when Jordan is carefully thinking about inclusion and exclusion, the comic form really helps kind of make these these moments concrete. Um, it's really, really a wonderful book. It won the Newbery and it's funny and smart and it's also celebrates drawing and my children love drawing. Um, so that's a book that's very popular right now in my house. When we think about graphic novels, I do think about uh, young adults, but I, I often uh, tend to gravitate toward graphic novels as well. Uh, is that something that you find that uh, more adults are also interested in? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's a medium that that really connects with all readerships. Um, I have to I have to mention another graphic novel series that my children have really loved, and it's the Lumberjanes series. Mm. Um, and it's authored 
by a collective of women. It's about girls at a summer camp and the girls go on kind of like adventures. They are akin to um, Girl Scouts, um, but they meet all these kinds of fantastical creatures like three eyed foxes and yetis. And the series is hysterically funny. Um, and I think that the, the comic kind of medium allows children to get excited about reading in a way um, that that's really invitational. And you said that was called the Lumber Jane series? Yes, the Lumber Jane series. Um, and I, I just, I can't endorse it more highly. It's just mm-hmm. so much fun. I love that it focuses on, on a group of girls. You know, the, the Babysitter's Club is getting a, a a revisit. A lot of people are interested in that again uh, with the Netflix series. But it's nice to, to hear about this graphic novel series uh, that you mentioned. You know, I, the last time we had you on, Kate, we talked about the importance uh, of why uh, uh, diversity in books, especially uh, for children and tweens and young adults. Uh, when we think about the moment that our country is in right now, uh, some see this as the second phase of the civil rights movement. Can I talk to you? you about some of the books that you would recommend that children and and teenagers can read today that that focus on social justice and civil rights in a way that's engaging? Definitely. I mean, you're right. This is such a key moment for young people who are really at the front lines, both of protests and really thinking through the structural legacies that they're encountering in schools and in communities. It's just a really important moment. And children are and young people are at the forefront of it. Um, and so in terms of different categories of books, we have even picture books for the very youngest readers um, that are engaging social justice. So I think of Hands Up by Brianna McDaniel and Woke Baby by Mahogany Brown. And both of these books kind of take the physical movements that children, infants, and young people make with hands in the air or fists in the air or stretching baby and talk about how these children will develop into political um, thinking active um, contributors to social justice. So those are really cool books. They're very young. Um, We also have texts like We Rise, We Resist, We Raise Our Voices, which is edited by uh, Wade Hudson and Cheryl Willis Hudson. And this is a collection of, I think, the best writers of color right now. Um, And they're all talking about social justice to young people. And some are using poetry, some are using short stories, prose, but they directly engage the reader and they say to the reader, this is a quote from one of um, the writers, you come from people who have never stopped finding a way. We knew you would be coming and we are your life map in truth and spirit and memory. You are here and we are here with you. It's a really inspirational collection. It's a collection that really fortifies black children's especially, but all children of color um, sense of agency in the world. And then in terms of um, grappling with police violence, you may, everyone knows, I think, The Hate You Give by Andy yes. Thomas, which is really wonderful. Um, there are a number of other really fantastic books. One graphic novel, to go back to that, that is quite moving and, and I think important is I Am Alfonso Jones by Tony Medina, um, which depicts the death of a teenager um, at the hands of an off-duty police officer. But then that, that teenager goes onto a ghost train um, and on that ghost train, are individuals who have been the victims of police violence in real life. So it's the director of the train is Amadou Diallo. Um, and they sort of go through mm-hmm. the New York landscape and they think about the life of Alfonso Jones and, and the meaning of his, his existence. And it's just a, such a moving, moving book. 
And then finally, I would suggest also that there's an explosion of nonfiction books about social justice that are really important right now. So um, Ibram Kendi, who's very popular adult book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, and then Stamped from the Beginning, has a young adult version of Stamped, which is co-authored with the really important um, writer Jason Reynolds, young adult writer, and it's called Stamped. And it talks about the origin of race as an idea. Um, and moves across history in a really kind of conversational, playful sometimes, knowing jokes um, way of, of drawing readers and young people into the history of racism in the United States. Um, and then it has a really moving call for action at the end about how young people can get involved mm-hmm. in reshaping society. Thank you, Kate, for those titles. We'll try to list those on our website at wmpr.org slash where we live. I'm wondering, Kate, when we talk about a summer reading, I mean, definitely you want uh, your children to be engaged with reading. But when we talk about books such as these, you know, how would you recommend that families come together and talk about these books or, uh, you know, get their children to talk about some of the themes uh, that they're reading about and the ideas that they're thinking about? Uh, because it's 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 not uh, easy reading at times when children connect things that they've experienced in life and when, when they're reading uh, stories on a page. Absolutely. I mean, you're right. I think parents and guardians should be in close contact with their children no matter what they're reading and ask them questions about it. But you're right that these social justice books really are family reading. Um, They are occasions for the child or the adult to um, kind of excavate some of the questions that are being pursued in the books. I think this is why Tony Medina's book is so important also because as a graphic novel, a child can more easily locate something that they want to talk about in an image that sticks with them um, and then bring that to their family to say, hey, let's talk about this. Um, And of course, I encourage all parents also to read these books. They're fantastic literature, period, um, regardless of the audience. You're hearing Kate Capshaw again. She's a professor at the University of Connecticut, also past president of Children's Literature Association. As we focus on reading today, especially getting families to engage with their children to to read books during the summer, it's a great time to do so. We want to hear what you're reading, maybe reading together as a family. The number to join, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, the last time we did our pandemic uh, book club, Uh, Kate, uh, we talked about how some people might want to pick up books where uh, they can escape from the realities of today, like living in a pandemic and dealing with uh, having to social distance and a lot of heavy uh, things happening in our world. Sometimes it's nice to just escape in a book. Uh, What are some of the favorite books that you have, um, whether it's uh, growing up or ones that you recommend to your kids, where it is uh, taking a break uh, from the day-to-day events in our lives? Um, I think there's a really terrific new young adult text that is absolutely different than everything I've read before. And it's called Pet by Aguake Amezi. It's a fantasy story um, in which um, a girl who lives in the city that has purportedly eliminated all monsters um, accidentally brings a painting to life. Her mother is an artist. And this painting is of this avenging angel, this almost demonic like angel um, who says to the main character, Jem, we're going to go hunt monsters. Um, and then they go on to the, to, into the town and they find that the monsters are 
um, not necessarily spectacular, but more hidden. And the thing that really strikes me about this book is that um, the author uses language to disorient you um, and to defamiliarize the landscape in ways that makes it really fresh and exciting. I love books that make me think a bit about language and make me mm. kind of see the world differently. And I have to say Pet by Aguaca Yamezi is that book. Um, and in terms of, of COVID and the context of COVID, this is going to seem like um, perhaps a strange suggestion, but I think this picture book, Bear Came Along, is the book for COVID, okay? It's about <laughs> a bear who decides that they're not going to go on adventure, but then gets sucked into the water onto a log. Um, and then eventually all kinds of animals also kind of get you know, swept onto the log or fall onto the log, and they all go over a waterfall together. Um, and in that moment, they grasp each other's hands. And oh my gosh, I, I was moved to tears over this picture book because the, the idea is that we are all in this together. We're all mm -hmm. going over this waterfall together. We need each other. Um, and so I would heartily endorse that book too, Bear Came Along by Richard Morris. I was thinking back to some of the picture books that we uh, read time and time again in our uh, household. And I'm wondering for, for tweens and, and young adults, if there's some other uh, classics that might be a good time to pick up this summer, Kate. Oh, I think um, there are so many classic books that, that really stand the test of time. You think of Charlotte's Web and Wrinkle in Time and things like that. But I would, I would suggest that uh, Tuck Everlasting by Natalie Babbitt would be a great Read, summer read uh, because it grapples with the, the same kind of philosophical questions really that Charlotte's Web grapples with, which is um, how does a, how why is what shapes a life's worth and meaning, and would you take immortality if it were offered to you? Um, and and it's just a beautifully written book. It's it's fairly brief and the language is immersive, um, and I think it really does stand the test of time. So Tuck Everlasting by Natalie Babbitt. Uh, we're going to begin be speak, continuing to speak to Kate Capshaw uh, about some great reads uh, for families uh, this summer. You can also just call in and tell us what you're reading uh, at 888-720-9677, uh, whether you're reading together as a family or you have a book that, that you're enjoying uh, on your own uh, when the kids finally go to bed. Uh, this is Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We did hear from some listeners on social uh, media. Uh, Stephen writes on Facebook, uh, the 2021 Nutmeg Award nominee, Dread Nation, a reconstruction era mystery novel blended with an ever constant zombie virus threat. Kate, have you heard of that one? I have not. I'm going to check that out immediately. <laughs> Zombies, I'm there. <laughs> Dread Nation. That was one of the nominees yeah. again, that Meg Award nominee. And of course, um, a lot of people looking forward to reading the upcoming, forthcoming Mary Trump's book. Uh, so that's a, mm -hmm. a listener saying that they're looking forward to reading that. You can join us too, 888-720-9677. It's our Pandemic Book Club. Coming up after the break, we're going to speak to some Connecticut authors about what they're writing and reading. And again, we want to hear from you. Join us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live.
This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. It's the second installment of our Pandemic Book Club. What are you reading this summer? The number to call 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Today, we're also focusing on how families can get excited to read together. And we're getting recommendations from our guests from children's books to tween books to young adult collections. Again, you can join us 888-720-9677. On Zoom is Kate Capshaw. She's past president of Children's Literature Association, also a professor at the University of Connecticut. Uh, Kate, I'm wondering, we talked about some old favorites right before uh, the break. Are there some other new books that you're excited about? Maybe we start with the the elementary uh, level. Sure. Um, One middle grade novel that's really exciting is uh, Tristan Strong Punches a Hole in the Sky by Kwame Mabalia. It is part of Rick Rick Riordan, sorry, it's very difficult for me to speak in the morning, Um, the the author of uh, the Percy Jackson series. He's kind of initiated this series um, in which um, cultural stories from other myths from other locations put into fantasy and Tristan Strong is just a fantastic book where the main character um, punches a hole through a bottle tree and enters into a fantasy space um, populated by um, by myths from um, African-American culture and he goes on a fantastic adventure with Anansi the Spider. It's a wonderful book. It's perfect for those who love the Percy Jackson series. Mm-hmm. Uh, we wanted to bring in some local authors to find out uh, some of the uh, what they're writing about, but also what they're reading. Uh, joining us now uh, on Zoom is Kara O'Brien. She's a young adult author based here in Connecticut. She's best known for the Birthmark Trilogy. Kara, welcome to our show. Hi, Lucy. Thanks for having me. Uh, so tell us a little bit about the Birthmark Trilogy and what are you working on these days? Well, the Birthmarked Trilogy is set 300 years in the future after climate change, and it takes place on the north shore of Unlake Superior after that has been drained of water. And the main character, Gaia Stone, is a young midwife, and it is her responsibility to deliver a baby. Um, The first baby that she delivers alone is supposed to go to authorities on the other side of a wall. She lives in a split society where people inside the wall have privileges and electricity and education and nice clothes, while people who live outside the wall are essentially in a wasteland and they depend on resources from inside the wall in order to survive, which is why they have to exchange children or babies to go inside the wall um, because the people inside are having problems with reproduction. So the situation is pretty dire. And in the first chapter, when Gaia delivers the baby, she has to decide whether or not she's going to obey the law to turn over the baby when the mother objects. And by the end of the first chapter, she makes it home and discovers that her parents have been arrested. So she spends the rest of the book trying to save them. And it gets really, really complicated. It sounds really uh, interesting and engaging. It must be interesting to be a dystopian writer during this time, Cara. Yeah, you know, I find I sometimes feel like I'm living in a dystopian novel. <laughs> I, I mean, you look around and, and there's this, there's so much unrest and there's so much suffering and there's so much uncertainty. So I definitely feel that. Um, it's, it's a strange experience. It definitely is. But I, I also feel like when we're writing, we tap into sort of a zeitgeist of what everybody is feeling or what they're thinking about. And sometimes, so even though I wrote that 
birthmarked trilogy started that you know 10 years ago mm. even then i was thinking about things like the wall and injustice and who has things and who has does not have things um and in a way i was i was just tapping into stuff that was already there and it's it's strange that what has emerged mm-hmm. you know what we're dealing with now is actually based on what we were dealing with 10 years ago or 20 years ago or a generation ago and um it's it's just even when you think you're thinking up something new you're actually tapping to something that's been there for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what are you writing about uh, these days, Akara, given uh, where our country is and our world, uh, especially during this pandemic? You know, I'm, I'm, I have a couple things going on. There's a book that I, I just finished that I've been working on for a couple of years that actually takes place on a planet far away. And it also deals with injustice and survival. Um, and so fortunately, I was in the final revisions of that just when the pandemic struck. So I was able to sort of pull that together and it's off with my agent now. Um, but since then, I've been, of course, trying to write something new. And it seems like every time I start something new, I think, oh, I'll write something kind of light and fun. And then the next thing I know, um, it's getting really miserable and people are dying and I think oh I can't write this anymore Mm -hmm. so I set it aside and I start something else and again I think I'll I'll try something lighter this time and the next thing I know the people are dying off so it's very hard for me to escape the uh the inner voices of whatever's happening artistically in my head so I'm not really quite sure where I'm gonna go but I have to keep trying I can't just stop writing so Mm -hmm. I keep starting things and then abandoning them and then starting something else but I'm sure something will stick eventually and what drew you to dystopia fiction? You know, I just thought I was writing a, a great book. I didn't even mm-hmm. think of it as dystopian as I wrote it. And I wasn't um, I wasn't thinking of it specifically as young adult either. I had a, a 16-year-old character. I wrote the best book I possibly could. And then I sent it out to agents. And Kirby Kim, who picked me up, said, oh, yeah, you've written a young adult dystopian novel. So um, I really wasn't. You know, I wasn't thinking about it as dystopian. I was thinking of a girl dealing with a difficult mm-hmm. society with difficult laws. And um, then, you know, what Hunger Games came out and everyone was looking around for more dystopian novels. And uh, fortunately, a lot of them found my trilogy, mm-hmm. too. So, um, yeah. That's how that happened. Uh, personally, I've always been drawn to dystopians. And uh, in front of my house, we have a little free library. Someone dropped off uh, the Lois Lowry book, The Giver, which I never read when I was in school. And I just ate that book up. And then my son picked it up. And when we were camping, we not only read The the, the Giver, but also there's also several books in that quartet. Um, and it just was interesting that of all the to- things to bring along with us during our camping trip, we're, ta- we're reading these dystopian books, Kara. Uh, yeah, I know. The Giver is really brilliant. I mean, I think about that one all the time. And in some ways, you think about a concept where you just, you can't see color. Mm. And it's so striking to, to start with that. And, and then, yeah, it's just, it's a brilliant book. I think of The Giver all the time. Kate Capshaw, I wanted to bring you into the conversation. Uh, We spoke earlier about the importance of having diverse characters, and I'm wondering if you could talk about this book, uh, The Giver, this idea of people living in a society that's been converted to sameness. Uh, But when we think about how we're talking about race today, uh, some of the questions that that come up. 
Yeah, I mean, that that is a really perceptive observation, right? I mean, the idea of being an outsider and being different and expectations of conformity. Um, I, I would suggest that there are really also wonderful um, sort of dystopian texts coming from writers of color, too. Mm -hmm. And I think of The Marrow Thieves by Sherry Dimoline, which is a Native American, well, it's an indigenous Canadian story um, in which the main characters, it's sort of post-apocalyptic, and they're being um, sort of chased for their blood um, as a salvific element for white people. Um, mm -hmm. And it is Oh, it's a breathtaking book. It, the pacing of it, the characterization, um, I think it's a really wonderful text. It's interesting um, because dystopians, as Kara was saying, you know, we feel like we're in a dystopian society and a lot of what is happening in dystopian fiction for people of color sometimes feels even more present. Um, so I just wanted to bring up the Marrow Thieves in that context. Thank you for that suggestion. We also want to hear from our listeners to find out what you're reading, uh, whether it's on your own or together as a family, 888-720-9677. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Cheryl's calling from Meriden. Cheryl, what are you reading these days? Hi, um, good morning. I am reading a couple of books. Um, one is called Love in the Time of Cholera by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. My book club and I are reading it, and um, it's, uh, it's won a, a Nobel Prize. And so sometimes I find those Nobel Prize books to be a bit challenging. But I'm really enjoying this book, and um, I'm in the very beginning, page 55. But it's full of, chock full of wonderful language and vocabulary, images, uh, and uh, I, I, I like it a lot. Do and you find that... Book, that I'm reading is um, Lyndon Johnson, The Path to Power. And there's it's a series of five books, and this is the very first book of those five. Mm. Cheryl, you mentioned that the, you're reading uh, Love in the Time of Cholera with your book club. Uh, in this pandemic, are you meeting uh, through Zoom or Google uh, chats? I'm just curious uh, what you're doing. Um, originally, we were meeting through those um venues and um now we're going to try a lawn meeting where everybody <laughs> nice. sits distant from each other wears masks and um hopefully can um talk about the book well, wonderful well thank you for calling in tell us uh, what you're reading uh, you can too 888-720-9677 that's 888-720-WNPR we heard from Priscilla on Facebook uh, she has grandkids ages 9 through 16 they were hoping to see each other this summer uh, but unfortunately uh, with the pandemic their trip got cancelled so they've been meeting online with their five grandkids and yes. Priscilla's guiding them through writing a collaborative adventure novel They've developed characters for each cousin. The novel writing is off and running. And then when the book's done, Priscilla writes, we're going to do a reading, which will be recorded. Uh, her grandkids are also interested in illustrating it. And uh, someone's also thinking about writing and recording the soundtrack. This sounds like a great family project, Kate. Oh, absolutely. I love it. I totally love it. I think that... I mean, this is a terrible situation that we're all in, but at the same time, it really makes us recognize the value of relationships. And we are sometimes connecting with people who we kind of would keep, you know, in the background or always assume that they're there. This is a great example of families across the country really building something together. I love it. 
We also heard from Evelyn on Facebook. She writes that she has a six-year-old son, and they've been reading together. Molly, Molly eats fried grasshoppers. Do you know that one, Kate? Um, I do. That's a really fun book. Um, that's perfect for that age too. Again, you can join us, 888-720-9677. Catherine uh, tweets, The City We Became is a fabulous sci-fi fantasy novel telling the story of six people who come to embody the city and boroughs of New York City. But the newly born city is in danger, and these six individuals who are very different have to work together. Again, that The City We Became sounds really interesting. Again, you can join us, 888-720-9677. Uh, we were just speaking uh, again with Kate Capshaw, who's a UConn professor, and also with us is Cara O'Brien, who's a young adult author based in Connecticut. I wanted to bring in another perspective, Chandra Prasad has been on the show a few years ago. Chandra, welcome back. Oh, thanks so much. Happy to be here. So when we spoke, I guess it was a couple of years ago, we were talking about Damselfly, which was a, a young adult a novel. Tell me what you're working on these days, Chandra. Sure. Um, I am working on another young adult novel. This one is a thriller, and it follows a secret society of present-day high school girls that discover that they can access the long dead people in daguerreotypes, which are an old uh, kind of photography. So the book weaves between the present, uh, where the girls uh, have you know, a very close friendship, and then what's happening when daguerreotypes were made, the mid 1800s, exploring everything from women's suffrage uh, to the abolition of slavery. That's really interesting. So Chandra, tell me when you're writing uh, this a book, uh, you know, what are some of the things that you're drawing from in terms of what's happening these days and how you're feeling? Um, I think like your other callers, this is such a strange, uh, scary time. And much as we writers try to block that all out, it definitely permeates into our world. So it's definitely hard to write um, lighthearted things at this time. Um, but for me, I've always focused on identity and being someone that's mixed race. Um, race has always played an important role in my books. So um, this particular time in history uh, actually lends itself to, you know, what I've been writing about anyway. The the narrator for both Damselfly and my forthcoming book, Mercury Boys, um, both those narrators are biracial, and I've been very uh, focused on including significant multiracial characters in my books because they are very um, underrepresented in children's literature. Even though uh, one out of every seven kids right now is multiracial or multiethnic, less than 1% of children's books features a significant um, biracial or, or um, bicultural character. So it's really important to add more books out there for kids. Um, seeing characters uh, like yourself in a book when you're a kid uh, definitely makes you feel more visible and understood and empowered. So I'm hoping, um, you know, to add to those numbers and to give multiracial kids more of a voice out there. And that's definitely important, something our guest Kate Capshaw had brought up earlier. Uh, Chandra, before we take some calls, uh, what are some of the books that you're reading uh, that maybe are focused on some of the, the themes that you've just discussed? Um, I have two boys. Uh, they're 
ages nine and 13. So we've, uh, we've been doing a lot of reading since the pandemic. Um, and some of them have been focused on race and some have been uh, not focused on race because we all need a diversion from that. Yeah. My older son and I have been reading All American Boys by Jason Reynolds, which focuses on two teens, one African-American and one white and um, the way they both react to a, a violent moment in time. That's a great book in terms of um, racial understanding and social justice that's appropriate for teens as well as adults. Um, I've also been reading um, a really lovely uh, picture book called At the Same Moment Around the World by Clotilde Par Perrin. Um, and that shows what different children from around the world are doing in their normal daily lives um, over the course of one day. And while this book doesn't um, scream diversity with a capital D, it definitely contextualizes and normalizes uh, what different kids are doing across the world. And it offers this lens um, in which to view not only what is different about kids, lives across the world, but also what is very similar. So that's a nice kind of quiet books for kids to read that will give them a sense of what, you know, different kids are doing and give them kind of a subtler sense of uh, racial understanding. And I also just wanted to plug a book that really has not much to do with race, but it's just such a great, great book. Um, for both kids and adults. And it's called Heart of a Samurai by Margie Prue. And if ever there was a book about perseverance and grit in the face of adversity, like what we're going through now, Heart of a Samurai is it. Um, it's about a 14-year-old boy named Manjiro who is stranded um, on a small island after his fishing vessel sinks. And um, he has to survive on very little for a long time and eventually he's picked up by an American fishing vessel and becomes probably the first uh, Japanese person to be in America. And it's about the navigation um, he had, he experiences between two cultures and the many, many adventures he has. And it's a real life story. So um, I would definitely recommend it. Well, I love all of those recommendations, Chandra, and our producer, uh, Tess, is going to make sure that we can list them all on our website for our listeners who may not be able to scribble as fast. Uh, again, that's Chandra Prasad that I was speaking with. I wanted to hear from some listeners about what they're reading or uh, writing. Uh, Willie's calling in from New Preston. Willie, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Uh, tell us uh, what you're reading or writing these days. Well, recently I read Fox 8 by Roth. I think that's, that's his name. It was a while ago. It's about uh, a fox who uh, looks through the windows of humans and sees their actions. But when they are outside, the actions are different. Like we can be mean and we can hurt animals and we can yell and scream at each other, but on the inside, we teach our children how to be calm and collective and eat dinner properly. So that's what I read. It's, it's an excellent book. Mm. Uh, it's called Fox 8, and what I'm writing is, once again, we go back to Selma, Alabama, because that's where I was born and raised, and that's where a lot of uh, things that we're going through right now happen. I'm almost done with 
the book. And what it does is it touches on not so much the bridge and why we went over the bridge, but actually what was happening in the lives of certain people that I knew when I was growing up. How were they talking about uh, social uh, justice or injustice or segregation or desegregating those schools? How were they forming themselves to be together and talk? We didn't have cell phones in the air. We didn't have, uh, you, you know, um, all of this technology that we have, have today. So we learned to be quiet and we learned to be secretive because we didn't know where Hoover was. And, of course, he couldn't be like that, you know, uh, like we are today. Mm. But there were people of our own kind who would just talk. Mm. So we were a quiet set of people. We did everything in the dark, practically. We met in secret places. Mm. We talked to certain people that we could trust. And then sometimes that was not enough. So I say that to say social media is, 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 is an excellent tool, but it also can be um, very bad when it comes to things that we need to keep between ourselves together. People tell everything. <laughs> well, Willie, I'd love to follow up with you, Willie, to hear about more about this book that you're writing again, about the experiences of the civil rights movement and what it was like to grow up in Selma. Can we, can we talk with you again in the future, Willie? Oh, yes, you certainly can talk with me in the future. But I want to say another thing. These lynchings that we are having now, they are horrific. Anything like that is horrific. You'll read about them mm. when I write them. Well, Willie, thank you uh, for calling in today to talk about what you're reading and writing. I wanted to fit in one more call before we head to break. I believe it's Eleni uh, from Avon. I'm sorry if I pronounced your name wrong. Um, but Eleni, can you tell us what you're, what you're reading? Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Um, I just wanted to share, you know, you mentioned the book Stamped, which was written um, with Kendi and Jason Reynolds. And it's just been outstanding in terms of, I actually have a son going into fifth grade, and while the material is above him, reading it together and out loud has been an awesome way for us to discuss both current events and historical perspective, especially as history is still taught to small children in terms of the Pilgrims or Thomas Jefferson and other founding fathers. So it's a great way to really present a more complete picture of history to mm -hmm. kids, and there's an excellent online resource uh, reading guide that goes with that. But I also wanted to um, additionally mention another book we're reading. It's called Dress Coded by Carrie Firestone. She's actually a Connecticut author. It's a middle-grade novel, and it talks about a young woman who decides to start a podcast, and basically it becomes a movie at her school because of one girl who was shamed around what she was wearing and then it and it brings up other girls that were shamed for different reasons and it's not just a book for girls it's also a book for young boys because I think that we have to teach them how to be allies and that especially when you have dress codes that say things like you know or or administrators who say things like well the way you're dressing is distracting the boys from their education it's another you know, avenue into teaching them how to be allies, how to be upstanders, 
how to be part of the conversation as young people. And also, without being preachy at all, it really is almost like a mini manual for when you see something and you want to do something about it, when you see an injustice that you want to correct, how do you do that when you're, quote unquote, only a kid? And so it's dress coded by Carrie Firestone. And then I would also mention, um, because you mentioned graphic novels before, mm-hmm. even though they're a few years old, um, the March series by uh, John Lewis, outstanding mm-hmm. graphic novel and, and yes. series and a great way for kids who maybe are reluctant readers to be able to access uh, very important material, both historically and for the times that we're living in now. So those are just my few suggestions for um, folks that are looking for additional reading this summer. Well, thank you uh, for those great suggestions. Uh, we got to head to break, but I want to thank uh, the Connecticut authors who joined us again. Chandra Prasad, uh, who's based in Connecticut, a writer of the young adult novel Damselfly. And again, uh, she has an upcoming book coming out in 2021. Chandra, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Lucy. Uh, I love being on your program. Thanks. And thank you. And Cara O'Brien, a young adult author also based in Connecticut, known for her birthmark trilogy. I love dystopian novels. Cara, thank you for your time today. Yeah. Thank you, Lucy. This is Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Kate Capshaw will stay with us as we uh, talk to a local librarian after the break. Uh, We want to hear her recommendations again to get uh, families engaged reading together this summer. You can join us too. find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. We've been talking and doing about books and doing our second installment of the Pandemic Book Club. We know libraries have been doing curbside pickups. Some libraries have reopened. We wanted to find out how libraries are still encouraging children and teens to read this summer. So joining us now on the phone is Carol Waxman. She's a children's services librarian at the West Hartford Libraries. Carol, welcome to the show. Good morning, Lucy. Thank you so much for having me. We know there's such a partnership between schools and local libraries during the summer. This is a different kind of summer. I'm just wondering if you could talk about how you're still connecting with local children to get them to read. Of course. It's so different because normally we do everything that we can before school ends to encourage them to come. We we create a video to show them what we're going to do this summer. We have programs and reading lists and Um, online presence, and the first day after school ends, we see them running through the door, not the case. So what we've done is we've tried to reach them in every possible way through our website, through Facebook. We have a Book Buddies program starting in August where teens and children, grades K through 3, can meet in a Zoom square to read books and play games and sing songs. The teens have a book ranting club where they share their favorite books and vote for the most interesting one mentioned in that book receives a trophy. Mm-hmm. We have story times and cooking classes and craft classes on Facebook. Many teen programs. We're doing everything we can to reach out. Oh, I mentioned curbside pickup. Is that something that West Hartford Libraries has been doing? Absolutely. For maybe five weeks now, it is absolutely incredibly well used. Every, every day, books are flying out the door. Patrons can put holds on books or we'll help them to do that. And they set an appointment to pick them up curbside. We have them out on a table. 
it is running beautifully Monday through Friday and also Saturday at the main library in our two branches, and it's very well used. We've heard so many great recommendations from our guests and listeners today, even uh, people on social with their recommendations. Uh, sometimes I struggle with when, I, when I've when i been able to take my kids to the library uh, before the pandemic of, of how to um, help them select books. And what are um, some suggestions that you would have? Of course. So we deal with children of all ages, from babies through the tween age, and then teens are in another department. So one picture book that I think has been outstanding is called Thank You, Omu by Ogi Mora. And this book touches all the bases of being kind and sharing. Diversity is completely present. It's about an older woman who cooks a pot of thick red stew. And neighbors and community workers all smell the, the aroma of the stew, knock on her door. She gives some to everybody, which results in none for herself. But when she opens the door, after that is discovered, everybody in the community is there with the makings of a dinner, and they all sit together and eat and enjoy with her, with Omu. Mm-hmm. I understand you also have a, a service called Book Match, and that's something that parents can access online to help get a book that their children may enjoy? Absolutely. So... One of the most favorite things our patrons love to do is to browse through our vast collection of books. That not being the case right now, although Mm -hmm. we do hope to open later this summer, is Bookmatch. It's a form that parents can fill out telling us what the children are interested in, their names and ages, their grade level, some of the books that they've previously read. And we take that and think of books that would match their interests. We send them the titles, then they put them on hold and pick them up curbside. It's being very well used. That sounds like a great service uh, to have. Again, uh, we've been speaking uh, with uh, Carol Waxman, who's the Children's Services Librarian at the West Hartford Libraries. Uh, Before we run out of time, uh, Susanna's calling in from Brantford. Susanna, I understand that you're part of the Read to Grow organization. I was familiar with this uh, organization when I had uh, my children. They got a book at the hospital as newborns. Uh, Tell me what you've been doing during the pandemic. We've got about a few minutes. Sure. Thank you, Lucy. And we're so glad to hear that your children got the book in the hospital. (laughs) And we continue to get books out to kids even during this time. So uh, when COVID started, um, we uh, went into action mode and in partnership with RJ Julia Booksellers and Senator Chris Murphy, we and a lot of individual donors, we raised money to buy new books to go to the meal distribution sites around the state. So as of this month, we have distributed over 40,000 books in New Haven, Bridgeport, Norwalk, Wyndham County, Waterbury, and Middletown. And we keep adding cities to that roster. Um, it's just incredible, the outpouring of support. And what I wanted to focus on um, is the books, some of the books that we've been giving out. So one book for the K, sort of kindergarten through second grade range that I'd recommend is by a local author, Abdul Razak Zachariah. It's called The Night is Yours, and he wrote it um, for his younger sister. It's a wonderfully affirmative book about identity, but also about the wonderful world of children's play. Uh, And Abdul actually helped us distribute books in New Haven. He was present to hand out books for a number of weeks there. And another book for the older crowd, sort of the, um, let's say, 6th through 8th grade range, is a graphic novel 
called When Stars Are Scattered by Victoria Jameson and Omar Mohammed. It's a graphic novel about the experience of two young Somali refugees who live in a Kenyan refugee camp and um, eventually make their way um, to safety. Um, and there's so many other, mm. <laughs> other wonderful books. Um, one of your callers was recommending uh, books that sort of go beyond um, focusing just on hardship with Black Lives Matter and going beyond to imagine what's possible. Um, and there's a wonderful graphic novel called The Pathfinder Society, The Mystery mm-hmm. of the Moon Tower by Francesco Sedita and Prescott Sarah Darayan, I believe I'm um, pronouncing his name correctly. Uh, and it's a book about a group of friends who come together to solve a mystery. So when we start talking about sort of escapist literature, mm-hmm. that graphic novel is a wonderful book uh, to, to give to your sort of middle grade students. Well, thank um, you, and then, Susanna. I, yeah, unfortunately, we're almost out of time. But for listeners who want to learn more about Read to Grow, where can they go online? www.readtogrow.org. Oh, perfect. Easy to remember. Thank you, Susanna. It's been great to hear that you've been able to get books out to communities uh, during the pandemic, uh, uh, again, uh, with uh, meals as well. It's so important, and we thank you for calling in today. Uh, before uh, we let uh, our guests go, again, we want to thank Carol Waxman from the West Hartford Libraries. Kate Capshaw, so many great titles uh, for our listeners uh, to pick up and read together as families. I feel like it'll be a good month month and a half before school, however that uh, shapes up. Kate, Capshaw, can you hear me? I can hear you. Oh, okay. <laughs> we weren't able <laughs> can, to hear you, but I want to thank you. Can you hear me at this point? I can hear you now, but unfortunately, okay. uh, we're out of time. But I do want to thank you for joining us, past president. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, Lucy. <laughs> it's been so much fun. Past president of the Children's Literature Association, again, and uh, Kate Capshaw is a professor at the University of Connecticut. Uh, today's show produced by Tess Terrible. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Thanks for listening.